Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert. Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining the show today. I really appreciate you coming on board. We'll have another hour packed full of information and real life experiences that may help you have a lot more money and have a lot more enjoyable life. Hey, this is Troy Eckert. I live in uh, Allen, Texas. I am part of the uh, whole event of trying to figure out how to help private investors and individuals make their life better by understanding more about money and how that relates to their lives. Now, listen, the show is simple. It's called Talk with the Texan money in life. I was born in South Texas. I've grown up and lived in Texas all my life. And there's a lot of uh, inherent things that come with being a Texan. As my dad always said, your handshake is better than a contract. Your word is your bond. And it's not something you take lightly. By the way, if you feel like calling into the show, you can always dial in the number, which is 866-472-5790. Again, that's Talk with the Texan. I'm Troy Eckerd. Let me just give everybody, the newcomers to the show, a little brief background. I've been involved in uh, private investments since 1985. My career started off as a licensed investment broker working for a small firm here in Dallas. That firm was specifically looking to work with only investors who had a net worth of $1 million or greater. And they had them focused on investing in oil and gas exploration because there was a lot of potential financial returns. There was a lot of potential tax write-offs were very big back in the 1980s. And that was the driver. The driver was find you a big oil well, get a bunch of tax write-offs, tell your buddies at the country club you own oil and gas interest, and hopefully you don't get skinned alive. Well, let me just tell my audience today, uh, it's not just oil and gas. It's not just cannabis operations. It's not just cryptocurrency. It's not just real estate. It's not just cars or appliances or anything else. In my view, after almost 37 years of being in the investment space, what I've come to realize is that the amount of bad actors, bad characters, and those that are more interested in trying to steal your money and bamboozle you is more prevalent today than it's ever been before. Now, what I want to do is share with you today some things that you can do to take some defensive positions. So when I talk about money in life, look, my, my brain is in overload today. There's so much going on in the world today that I could talk about. It could be everything from political. It could be economics. It could be about global, macro, geopolitical pressure, we have things going on all over the world right now that are really, really starting to take a toll on the underpinnings of many of these markets. Um, I do find it very interesting. I go to some of these conferences. I go to these shows. I listen to uh, so-called experts talking about all these different areas of their so-called skill sets, whether it be real estate, multifamily, whatever the category of investments are. And I listen very carefully. Um, I had a, a little thing I used to do back 30 years ago. I'd always go into a room and there'd always be these guys in suits and ties, guys and gals. And Everybody in there's got a college degree, master's degree. They've been doing something 10, 20 years, and everybody walked around like a bunch of puffed up peacocks. And I would say when I first started my career, I kind of had to play the game because I was too young to have any experience. I was not a college graduate. I was a college dropout. Um, I didn't have enough, um, I don't know, dirt under my fingernails to really say that I've been in the, in the trenches long enough to know what was up or down. So I played the game and I watched these puffed up peacocks as they ran around. And what I found is that literally nine to nine and a half out of 10 of the puffed up peacocks really were just a puff of air. They didn't have any substance. They really didn't have a lot to offer. They were sure in love with themselves. I mean, they, they, they looked pretty. They had the nice fingernails and the great suits and ties on and all the fancy clothes. And they went to the right clubs and bar. And, and what I found is that there was a general theme amongst all of them, which is how do I make more money for myself? How do I do it and pretend like I'm ethical and pretend like I'm moral and pretend like I'm really in the client's best interest. And when it really boiled down to it, I would say nine out of 10 had no interest in the client's best interest and had no interest in really uh, making their skill sets better. They simply wore a hat that said, today I'm a financial planner. Today I'm a financial advisor. Today I'm a lawyer. Today I'm a CPA. And I can tell you, 1985 today, this current time, that's 30 plus years, 35, 37 years that I've been in the invest world. And I can tell you right now, there's as many crooked lawyers, crooked financial advisors, crooked CFPs. There is as many crooks in the, in the industry as there 
in any business you can think of. I'm telling you right now, I know for a fact financial planners that are Ponzi scheming their own clients, their clients have no clue. They're uh, inter-account inter trading with accounts that they're not supposed to have any kind of discretion over. You know, these financial advisors and planners, you know, they can't all be good. They all say the same thing. I am your trusted advisor. I am here to help you build your net worth. Really? So today's show is going to be pretty simple. Let's just, we're going to get down to brass tacks. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some really good questions and you're going to learn how to ask them. Now, what's funny about this is, is that there's a button on your, on your radio or your computer or anything else you're listening to the show on, and you can always turn it off and say, you know what? That guy's out of his mind. I do it all the time. I look at some of these so-called experts and all these guys have written these motivational books. And whenever I'm on uh, my Facebook account or I'm on my LinkedIn, I see all these so-called experts coming through and I listen to them and I go, you're just a fake. You're just, you're just a pretty dresser that says the right things and draws a big crowd, but you don't really get down to brass tacks. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some real simple things to think about because I get asked this all the time. And I think it's important that you, me, all of us start protecting what we own and what we have. We worked hard for it. Let's assume everybody that's listening to the show today says, listen, I want to talk about money in life and I want to make money. And what I want to do is I want to be successful and I want to make sure I avoid the pitfalls. And you can talk to me, Troy, about real estate or any other type of investment you want. You can talk to me about oil and gas, which is your area of expertise. I mean, I could talk to you for hours on how to be successful in oil and gas. Problem is, most of you wouldn't listen. So what I'd rather do is spend my time on this show telling you how you can arm yourself and defend yourself in making decisions. Now, these decisions are not just about investments. It can be from something as simple as a mortgage. It can be something as simple as buying a car or equipment. And here's the kicker. I'm going to tell you right up front. If I gave you the top 10 questions to ask, I promise you, 90% of you will not ask them. Um, it's, it's sad. And sometimes people consider me pretty harsh. And I can be. I can be harsh. I can just tell you like it is. I mean, I'm, I'm the first guy that's going to look you in the face and just go, hey, you know what? You got uh, mayonnaise on your forehead. I'm not going to be polite and kind of touch my head and make you try to look like, what, what are you talking about? And, and spend a lot of time. I'm just going to look right in the face. Hey, listen, man, I don't know how you got mayonnaise on your forehead, but you got it. And you look like an idiot, so take it off. I don't know how I got there. doesn't matter. But I'm not going to have you sit here and talk for five minutes looking like a fool. That, to me, is more important is that I'm not doing it out of disrespect. I'm doing it more out of respect that you have something that is wrong, and I want to help you fix it because at the end of the day, no one's going to take you serious. So, so here's my example for that. So let's talk about you as investors. You get a contact, your financial planner, your advisor, your banker, your buddy, the guy you golf with, somebody calls you on the phone and they say, hey, I've got an investment and I'm calling you because I'd like to know if you qualify, if you're interested, do you have money? And the normal questions they always ask him, by the way, it could be a golfing, but it's, hey, I heard this guy's got a great deal going on. He's going to buy some industrial buildings. They're at a discount because the tenant moved out and the bank doesn't want them back. And they're, they're, Look, everything's got a story. You know, a story is like the sizzle on a steak. The, the story draws you in. The steak you got to pay attention to. And the key is nine out of 10 people only listen to the story. They never look at the stake. They just look, they just listen to the sizzle. All they want to know is, Hey, that sounds really good. That's unique. Oh yeah. I can see why the bank would take that back. And I can see why this makes a lot of sense. And so what happens is, is that we get caught up in the story and the sizzle and we forget our common sense. Now I can tell you if you as a sophisticated or maybe a more mature investor, if you ever really looked back and said, what would I look like today if I had taken more time and did my due diligence? What if I took more time and I asked for more questions? What if I asked for those questions and I demanded the answers and I just simply didn't invest or purchase or buy or move forward till I got the answers to my questions? And if I don't get them, then I determine that there is an inherent risk with it, which is lack of information and therefore it is not acceptable to me. Now, look, I'm as guilty as anyone listening to this show. I can tell you right now, talk with the Texan is because the Texans tell it like it is. I'm going to tell you exactly like it is. I've lost millions of dollars in bad decisions, bad mistakes, been ripped off, thought I was smart, thought I was smarter than the next guy. But let me tell you something. Crooks are a lot smarter than you give them credit because they have one major fallacy. Okay. Well, let's not call it fallacy. Let's call it fact. The fact is they have no moral conscience. And because they have no moral conscience, there's no boundaries they won't cross. Their, their goal is to abscond with money or assets from you at any and all cost. 
And when you realize that you're looking across the table or on a phone or at a meeting with somebody that possibly could be one of those characters that just has no moral compass, then it changes the game. Because if there is no rules, then you have no basis for trying to figure out um, how you can corner them. In other words, they'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll make fake checks, they'll create fake accounts. I've seen it. I see it all the time. I even see it today. Today, it's probably more rampant than ever before because there's no repercussions. So let's talk about due diligence. Now, that's a very abused word. People always talk about, well, I got to run due diligence to see if that's going to work or not. I got to run due diligence to see if I should buy that property. I got to run due diligence to see if your company's the kind of company I want to invest with. Nobody does it. Let me tell you something. I'm in a deal right now where I'm working through possibly becoming part of an organization. And they have this long, detailed due diligence they want to run. And they've asked a bunch of questions. They've gone through all their processes. And as of now, they're saying that, you know, we're going to be approved to be part of their organization. And I'm not mentioning names, by the way. And I go back and I look at it, and there's all kinds of major flaws. There's, there's major flaws in how they did their due diligence. There's major flaws in how they're being compensated for doing the due diligence. There's major flaws in how they're going to be remunerated for participation and approval of that due diligence. And when you really scrape it all back, it's got major conflicts. The conflicts are between the lawyer, the conflicts between the company, the conflicts between their investors, the conflicts between their associates. And so to me, due diligence is exactly what it says. It's due, mean you're owed. I'm due, I'm due a fair, clean shake. I'm due the right information. I'm due the right answers to the question that I ask, as long as it's relevant to whatever I'm looking at. And the diligence means to be diligent, to not just ask the peripheral question. Well, how long have you been in business? Well, 20 years. Okay, great. Have y'all ever been sued before? Okay, great. And uh, you're not going to steal my money and go to Jamaica, are you? Nope. Okay, well, great. That's not due diligence. That's called moron investing. And moron investing is where you ask the same five or six dumb questions that anybody's going to answer. Because if they're already a crook, they're going to tell you the right answer. If they're already intending on giving you a bad investment, they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. I don't care if it's your golf buddy. I've got close friends of mine that are crooks. I got a nephew who stole money. I mean, I'm telling you, I, 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 know, I know people's character. I know it really well. And then you say, well, that just sounds so cruel. I mean, the human character wants to be genuinely nice. No, they do not. Look, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I understand all about the Bible. I understand about forgiveness. I also understand that God gave me two eyes. He gave me uh, two ears, he gave me one mouth, and he gave me two, two fists, two knuckle sandwiches. And let me tell you something, everybody's out for themselves. Very, very rarely do you find anybody that's genuine. And if you do, that is somebody of substance and character, because due diligence is about getting past the facade. Due diligence is about getting past the nonsense. So let's, let's start with the list, all right? So the top half of the show, let's just get down to the list. The list is as follows. Number one on your priority list must be the who. I'm not talking the broker, the salesman, the, the car salesman, the guy selling the product, the person who dialed the phone. I'm not even talking your golf buddy. If your golf buddy says, hey, ABC company is a good company, you need to ask who. Who is the person in control of the entity, the organization, the deal? Who is the guy that writes the check, signs the paperwork, the money goes into the bank account, and that person's name has the authorization to be able to extract money out of that bank? I want to know who is behind the deal. Now, you can take that as an answer and just go, well, it's Johnny Brown. He's been in business 25 years, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. You have no idea if Johnny Brown actually owns 1% of the company. He's a front man. He's broke. He's been sued. He doesn't have any money. He's just praying for another chance of making some money. So some crook stands him up on top of the, the pinnacle of the company and says, Johnny, you've got a good reputation. You've been around for years. You're broke. You're kind of a dummy. I'm going to steal all the money, but I'm going to pay you 500000 a year to stand up here and act like a stool pigeon. And you're going to do that. You're going to pretend like you don't know. You're going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to steal everybody else's money. When it goes down, you'll take the fall for it. They'll never really know I'm behind the scenes, and what you'll end up with is a bunch of money you otherwise would never get because no one's going to give you a chance, Johnny, because you've already proven you're an idiot in multiple previous business ventures that never worked out. Again, sounds like I'm harsh. No, I'm not harsh. It's called reality. See, if you got to think about it, you got to think about the who factor. The who factor is who is behind the deal you're looking at? Who is the one who got foreclosed on those uh, uh, industrial buildings that are for sale by the bank? Who is the banker? Was it his golfing buddy he lent the money to? And now he's trying to save the bank's backside by getting somebody else to pick up the notes? Is the who also trying to 
figure out how to make their balance sheet look better because they know they're going to take a big ding at the bank on their, on their uh, bad balance, bad debts. I need to know who. Who's the players? Who's involved? Who's getting the money? Where's the money going? Why are they asking me for money? What is my role in it? And if it's such a darn good deal, why are you coming to me? I mean, that is the number one thing is the who. I want to know who the mastermind is behind it. And I don't want it verbally. I want it in writing. Send me your antecedents. Send me your corporate structure. Send me your corporate records. Tell me who owns this thing, who runs this thing, who writes the check. Because I need to do a little background check and find out if the who is also wanted by state securities board, by lawyers, by lawsuits, by FBI, CAA for bank fraud, theft, identity theft. I need to know if he's got a tracker. It's only five years deep. And maybe his name is a, is a pseudonym. Maybe he's got a false name and a DBA doing business as. I don't know. I run across all that stuff, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's all been there. So first you get the who. Let's say you get past the who and now you know who you're playing with and good, bad, or indifferent. At least you know that answer. At least you feel like you know the answer. Now, the next question is the what. The what is, what do you want? What do you want from me? Why are you telling me about it? Why am I all of a sudden the lucky winner of the lottery ticket? I mean, if, if it's, let me put it this way. Great deals never get out. Great deals are funded in a matter of seconds. Great deals are grabbed by those closest to the, the identification of a great deal. If somebody said, hey, look, man, there's industrial buildings. They're going for half price. The guy went bankrupt. The bank took it back. It's legitimate. Here's the who. Everything works out. And they're, gonna, they're looking for somebody to take these buildings down right now. Okay. Now, I got to know the what. The what is, what do you want from me? Well, I need you to help me put up the equity. I don't have enough money. But see, nobody ever tells you the truth and the what part. They never tell you the what. They are like, well, I got this deal under contract and I'm, you know, I just need another backer to be, you know, passive partner, blah, blah, blah. Look, cut the chase. It's a $3 million deal. The bank wants you to put down a million dollars. They know the new buyer has some equity and skin in the game. They'll go ahead and extend the note for $2 million on the $3 million purchase. But I've only got 500,000. I need the other 500,000. Well, if I put up the 500,000 along with your 500,000, who's in charge? Who's in control? Who makes the decision? Are we 50-50 partners? Do you have some promote? There goes a whole nother list of questions in that due diligence. We'll go back to the definition of due diligence. You're due the answers. D-U-E. You are due answers if somebody's asking you to participate, putting in financial, intellectual assets, money, or time. You're due those answers. So don't be shy. Again, I'm going to repeat it. Don't be gullible. Too many people are gullible. Look, this show is called Talk with the Texans. Texans are known for being brash, loud. We can be called obnoxious. Uh, as many people will tell you that know us well, if we're your friend and we're a Texan, we're your friend for life. You can be literally anywhere in the world call and say, I need help, and we will be there any way we possibly can. The flip side is we can be your worst enemy and the worst enemy in the world if we feel like you're going to try in some way take advantage of us, disrespect us, or put us in a position where our character can be diminished as a result of what you're asking. So we can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Part of the due diligence process is trying to make sure you're using the friendly side of your questions to get answers. When you don't get the answers, you either have one or two choices. You push back from the table or you simply get more aggressive and say, until I get those answers, I don't plan on moving forward. Are you going to answer them or not? So the what part is, what do you want from me? What is the end game? Well, I want to buy the buildings. I need your $500,000 in order to get the buildings bought. I'm going to be on the note. You're not going to be on the note. So I'm taking a higher risk. I'd like to get them up, get them rented, get them with some tenants in it. And I want to sell them in 24 months or less. And I think we can make a nice profit. What I'd like to do is I'd like to get your money back and my money back. We both get 10% of our money. And then we split it um, 50, no, 40, 60. I get 60, you get 40 because I'm taking extra risk. So I'm going to make an extra 10% equity over you, but I'm going to handle everything. Okay, that sounds fair. Let's just paper that up so we're all very clear because I want to have writing and I want to know what's going on and I also want some other provisions, blah, 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 to make sure if you drop dead or have a heart attack or, or whatever that I don't end up getting stuck high side. So it's just about knowing the what and then you figure out how to get to the, the end result. How do you want to get there? But I got to know the what. Let me tell you something. I talk to investors every day and I ask them, so you invested in such and such. Well, what did you get? Well, I don't know. Well, are you in a partnership? Well, I don't know. Do you own the minerals? Yes or no? I don't know. Did you buy the property? Are you in a partnership? I don't know. It, it just drop dead amazed me how many people make investments or make decisions in life. They have no clue what they've got or what they own. I'm thinking, were you just drunk that day? Did you hit your head on the, on the cabinet as you stood up? What, what are you doing? And you're sitting there talking to very sophisticated, very smart people, and they absolutely cannot answer the most basic question of what? Now, let's ask the next question, which is the most important question, I think, coming along this trail. After the who, after the what, why? Why me? Why now? 
You got 50 guys at the country club that you know as buddies. I barely know you. We play one round of golf. You're now asking me for 500,000. Are you asking me because everybody else has been in deals with you and those deals have not worked out or you've burned the bridge? Is it a situation where you think that I got a lot of money and I'm kind of a dummy, so you'll come to me and ask me for the money because I'm like, well, okay, it's only 500 grand. I'll put it up. We got real estate. It's with the bank. Can't be a bad deal. I want to know the why because generally speaking, when you do any kind of venture with somebody, whether it be a partnership, LLC, or you're the guy asking for the money or you're the person giving the money, you better know who you're dealing with because the why is real important. Why me? And if you're not asking that question and getting a clear answer, you got a problem because the why part is really, really important. The why is not so important when deals work out. When, whenever you invest in, whatever you buy, whatever you put, when it works out, the why is not a problem. The why becomes a big problem whenever it goes sideways or right after you make the decision or along the way, you realize the why is important because they're changing course on you. They change the contract without telling you. They are not really who they said they were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what you end up with is a really big problem. Let me remind you again, this is Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. The number is 866-472-5790. You can always, always call in, ask for me. You can always give me ideas and suggestions or make comments. But the key to this is this is an open format. Um, I like just sharing what I know. And you can either turn the channel or you can stay with it. But let me tell you something. You're going to learn a lot if you stick with it. All right. So once I figure out the who, what, and why, now I want to know the how much. I want to know, I got a mark on my forehead that says sucker or guy that'll take a deal or whatever emblems on my forehead. But apparently someone's identified me, you, or whoever they're getting rounded up. They've identified as a potential candidate for their who, what, and why. Now the question is how much? What are you looking for? What's the mark? Uh, well, I'm only looking for $50,000. Really? That's not that much money. So why are you not putting up the 50000 Why haven't you sold some stocks or bonds? Or why haven't you gone to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your business associate? Why haven't you asked some of your other relatives? If you're coming to me for the money, I want to know how much you want because that plays right back into the why. If you said it's $500,000 and I say, well, why? I don't know anybody else that has that kind of money. You're the only guy that I know of that has that kind of money. I don't know you that well, or maybe I do know you. But honestly, I'm looking for people that have enough financial substance that we can actually succeed in what we're doing. Okay, the why is making sense and the how much makes sense because you have a, a $3 million transaction in my example and you need a million dollars. You're trying to find one partner instead of 20 or 30 partners. Okay, I get that. It's up to me to decide if that makes sense to me or not. But at the end of the day, at least I know what you're looking for. And then I'm going to start getting down to the nitty gritty. And the nitty gritty is going to be pretty simple. The nitty gritty is going to be the uh, priorities. Who gets paid what? Who makes the decision? When do decisions get made? What are the consequences of changes in structure? Somebody dies, somebody has financial difficulty, somebody goes through a divorce, the deal doesn't work out. You buy the buildings and find out, hell, there was asbestos in, in two of the three buildings and now you're stuck with this big liability. Who's gonna pay for that? Who's gonna, who's gonna be responsible for that? So you've gotta know the who, what, where, when, why, and now I gotta know the priority. The priority and structure is if you're coming to me and you're telling me that you have a deal that makes sense, then what I want to know is, are you taken care of first or the outside third party or the passive partner, are they getting taken care of first? Because let me tell you something, I see deal structured all day long and the priority structure is simple. I'm making a fee up front. I'm making a fee along the way. I'm making equity on the way. I'm getting every slice of the pie I can get. When the deal works out, I get a lot more than I started with. When the deal doesn't work out, I still made all my fees and money up front and I really don't care. And those are, those are prevalent. I mean, I, I have been involved in deals where it literally is so front end loaded, but maybe the deal's good enough. You can justify it. The same token is a lot of times the priority structure is hidden. They don't tell you. They, they, they figure they're looking for the sucker. They're looking for the goober who doesn't ask the questions, doesn't do his homework, doesn't do their homework with regard to finding out this particular investment space. So they go, look, the priority's simple. You're going to get your money back. You're going to get 10%. We're going to split it 50-50. Okay, that sounds simple, but does it really work out that way. I don't know. I got to look at your, your waterfall. I got to look at how you structure the venture to see if that's really true or not. Um, before we go to break, I just want to give you a couple other tidbits. I'm really in an interesting mood these days. Um, I just want to tell you before we get to this, the back half of the show, I am all about right now recognizing that I think we're in a, in a firestorm. And I think many, many investors, I'm talking 85% or more of the investors I've talked to in the last year, they're, they're definitely pulling the ostrich. Oh no, real estate can't go backwards. Stocks can't go down. Everything's looking fantastic. We've made a lot of money in the last 13 years. Life is good. Life is good. I, I, you know, my financial planner, he's a good guy. My CPA's smart. 
Um, I'm not too worried about it. Even if Biden changes the tax rules or even if this happens or that happens, even if the dollar collapses, we're all good. I've honestly never seen more absent-minded investors in my entire career. And I don't mean that they're dumb by any stretch of imagination. What I mean is it's almost like they're enamored with their own success that they're thinking, I just don't have to worry about it anymore. I mean, life is so good. I'm so smart. I'm making 30%, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking at going, man, are you either not experiencing the last three or four corrections or you're simply absent of wanting to know what's about to take place because you're afraid you don't know where to go and how to defend yourself? Well, part of what I'm giving you right now in this due diligence is, in fact, going to help you because even if you've already made the investment, you can still ask these questions right now. Hey, listen, I'm Troy Eckert. This is Talk with the Texan. We'll be back at the other end of the hour. And I look forward to sharing some more about due diligence and what we can do to protect and defend ourselves. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Talk with a Texan, money and life. To reach Troy Eckerd or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwiththetexan.com. Now back to the show. Hey, thanks for joining me for the back half of the show. I'm super excited about what we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. Fact of the matter is that, you know, I lose track of time. I get so excited about what I'm talking about. And I promise you to the majority of people out there listening to things like due diligence with investments or consumer purchases or anything to do with spending your money or, or, or your time or services. It's amazing. People would rather hear about sporting events or they'd rather hear about the news or the weather than about how to protect themselves and take a defensive position. And I get that. I'm Troy Eckert. This is Talk with the Texan Money and Life. The number here is 866 866- 472-5790. So what I want to do is take the last part of the show, the second half of the show, if you will, and I want to just talk about a couple of things you need to remember. Number one, when it comes to investments, put your questions in writing and ask for them back in writing. I don't care if it's email or by hard copy, because people can say things all day long, but there's a big difference when they put it in writing, because when it's in writing, now it is timeless. It has substance. It has material. It has words. And so a lot of people give you verbal answers or verbal responses, but they'll never put it in writing. And that's your first telltale sign that possibly what they're telling you is either not correct or it will be embellished verbally. But when it comes to writing, it'll be a lot hardcore. I'm trying to buy an asset right now. And the salesman is continually giving me all these different sales pitches. And I say, look, it's very simple. I like the product. You're not making sense. What you're telling me doesn't add up. 
So what I'm asking you to do is put in writing what you're telling me, put it on the agreement, send it to me so I know it's in hard copy, so I can see it on your company's letterhead and I can see it with the proposal. And if I know it's all together, then I know what you're telling me verbally can in fact be backed up, supported, or at least I know it's a representation of your company. To date, I have not got anything in writing. Automatically, it tells me in my due diligence process in making that acquisition, I have a salesman who's going to embellish or in fact lie about what he's offering. I have a company who doesn't know that their salesman is making promises on their behalf and they're going to be exposed to it. And I have a situation where I am no longer trusting the company or the product because of the way the sales process has gone, the way I'm getting lack of information and the way what the salesman is stating doesn't match up with the company's product. So I got all kinds of issues. So the reality of it is, is that's where I said earlier in the beginning of the show, that's where you push away from the table and just say, thank you so much. Have a nice day. I choose to go another direction. So let's talk about the investment world today. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I talk about investments because I can tell you how to buy a car and you can buy furniture and I can give you a bunch of tricks and trades of that. And I'll be glad to do that. But my major focus, my audience that I'm focused on, I'm looking for people who are either millionaires, want to be millionaires, they're making investments, they're making true life-changing core decisions. And let me tell you something, the people that I talk to every day, these are not people who barely made a million dollars. I mean, I've got clients that are worth 50, 100, 200 million. I've got partners that are worth half a billion or a billion dollars. So the, the conversations don't change because of the size of your net worth. What changes is maybe the size of the transaction, maybe the size of the acquisitions, maybe the size of the divestiture. But the truth is, this is like playing baseball, whether it be T-ball, minor league, you know, baseball or, or national baseball league. It, it's just a different level, but it is all essentially the same game. Well, investing is the same as buying furniture or the same as buying a car. When you get a car salesman giving you information, you say, that sounds really great. I want you to take that car. I want you to put in writing what you paid for it, what you're offering for, what your profit's going to be, when I can take possession of it, what the trade's going to look like and what the uh, entry's going to look like and the, and the warranty. I want all of it in writing and I need to see that before I can buy. Well, I just can't do that. We got to go talk to my manager. Look, I'm real simple. You put it in black and white in writing. I'm going to buy a car today. It may not be from you, but somebody I talk to today with a car that I want is going to write down what I just asked you and going to give it to me in paper. And if it looks like numbers that I can work with, we can negotiate and get to a common ground that will be successful for both of us. But it starts with you putting in writing because I'm not listening to one of your verbal representations because I don't know if it's going to be true at the closing table. And I want to know that your company stands behind what you're telling me. If that can't happen, tell me now. And that new leather can stay brand new on your parking lot because I will go to the next car dealer. So this goes back to what I said. Stop being a gullible investor. Stop being a gullible consumer. You act like the day you're buying something is the only day you can buy it. You're acting like the, the information you're requesting is, is putting them out. You're asking like, um, let me just ask you a blunt question. Have you ever been sued for fraud? Do you currently have any cease and desist orders in any states of the 50 states in this country that says you've been banned by the Securities Exchange Commission from ever selling securities or investments like this in any state at any time ever? And if so, can you put it in writing to me? Yes or no? Have you currently got any lawsuits pending for financial disparagement or financial harm to any investor, any investor lawsuits at all at this time, anywhere in the United States or outside of the United States at all? Oh my God, I can't ask those kind of questions. That's just, that's just blunt. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get asked your name, your social security number, your address, your phone number, your wife's name. They're going to ask you your investment history. You're going to give them all this information to a stranger or somebody you have a limited relationship with, and you're thinking you shouldn't ask them the same kind of questions? Here, I'll, I'll tell you what, throw off your, uh, your financial plan or your financial advisor. The next time one of them calls you, even your current financial advisor, you should do this with your current financial advisor or your current CFP, certified financial planner. Now, I'd even do it with my own CPA. I would like to know if I could run a credit check on you. Oh, why, why, why is that? Well, you're going to give me investment advice. And what I know is, is that I can't take advice from somebody who fails with their own personal finances. And I don't want to take advice, whether it be professional as a CPA or maybe a financial planner or a financial advisor. I don't want to take advice from somebody who's either bankrupt, who's got bad credit, uh, who has very little investments, has very little assets. So if you're brand new in the business, you might as well tell me, hey, I've only been in the business for a year. I used to sell cars. I'm brand new. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm learning, but I really don't have any kind of true background or I don't have the true personal financial net worth. You need to know who you're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen, and most of you won't even ask. 
I'm asking all day long. I'm saying, you want me to invest with you? That's fine. So how long you been in the business? How much money do you have? What's your social security number? Give me your address. What's your wife's name? Where do your kids live? Well, I don't really have to tell you that. You're asking me to invest with you my hard-earned money? And you're telling me, I don't have to ask you the same questions? I, I think it's the other way around. When you're asking to be a fiduciary and a broker, a salesman, a insurance salesman, I don't care who you are. If you're asking me to invest in a product with yours and it involves managing my money, not only do I have the right to ask, I'm going to ask, and you have the right to say yes or no. I've had my, uh, my name listed with the FBI since 1985 when I became a licensed FINRA at the time. It was called NASD Broker. I've had my fingerprints on, fingerprints on file. I've been registered in virtually every state in the country, I think minus 10 states that I never sold investments in. And I've been around forever. I'm, I'm about as public figure as you can get. But what I can tell you is that I have no problem sharing with my phone number or anything else with my investor because why? It is called a reciprocal risk. I want to know that what I'm divulging is also equally what they're willing to divulge because I want to know who I'm dealing with. Now, I want to tell you something that's out there right now. I've seen it really, really happen since about 2008, and I think it's something you should all be aware of. I, it's, it's more rampant now than I've ever seen. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of people running around raising money who are not licensed. They're not licensed as a finder. They're not licensed as a broker. They're not licensed in any state. They don't take care of securities filing. They're running around grabbing money and making all these false claims about the fact they're exempt and they don't have to be a licensed broker. Uh, that's not true. Uh, it's not true for multiple reasons in 99.9% .9 of the cases, because if they're compensated in any way, whether it be a flat fee or commission or anything else from investors, they have to be licensed somehow. They've got to be licensed or registered as an advisor, a financial planner, a finder. Many states require you to license a finder. Now you say, well, why does that really matter? I mean, if they're bringing me good deals, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because at the very beginning, if the very first thing they do is violate state laws or, or federal laws with the SEC or state securities board in any state they're in, they start off by being a crook. They start off by breaking criminal law. You should ask them, are you licensed? How are you not licensed? Should you be licensed? If you are licensed, where are you licensed? Have you been licensed before? Have you ever had your license suspended? Well, oh my gosh, that's five or six questions. No, it's not. It's one question. Are you doing your business legally? Period. If I gave your information to my lawyer and I spent $500 and had him run a background check, would they find that the securities you're offering or the investment you're offering, the way you're doing business, is it legal? Are you in any way compensated? So here's how it breaks down, folks. So I'm going to give you the, the key. Here's, here's four or five things you got to ask. Do you earn any kind of a fee, whether it be a flat fee or commission or a percentage of transaction? Yes or no? If so, what percentage, what fee, what flat fee, and who pays you? Because you're not doing it for your health or your beauty. You're being compensated. So either I'm paying you by some hidden fee in the transaction or somebody else is paying you to go out and broker their deal. You just don't want to call yourself a broker or, or licensed rep. You just want to go out and do it without being legally uh, properly licensed, right? I want to know if you're registered. Do you have to be registered? Have you ever been registered? I've already beat this horse, but it's important because you don't have to be registered all the time, but it depends on how you're doing your business. And if you're doing your business a certain way, you must be registered, right? What about filings? Did you know that in every state in this country, if you sell securities or investments across state lines, they want to be paid. Each state wants to earn fees. It's all about taxes and fees. They want to get paid fees for registrations. They want to get paid fees for filings. They want to get paid fees for uh, approvals. And so every time you don't do that, what you're basically doing is you're skirting their system of getting paid. And I've been filing regulation D filings and securities filings since 1985, since I got in the business. It's what you do when you do things legally and you do it right. Now, you guys that are listening to me may go, well, Troy, you know, what if they don't have to be licensed? Well, they all tell you that. It's kind of like the guy selling moonshine. Oh, I don't have to have a license to sell moonshine. It's, it's good, clean stuff. It's just some friendly stuff between us buddies. I'm just selling a case or two a week. Really, it's illegal. Every little drop you made is illegal. Every little drop you sell is illegal. It may be a little illegal or big illegal. It's illegal. And that's the thing. If I'm doing business with somebody and they're telling me from the very beginning when they open their mouth, they're violating the law or they're violating the necessary requirements, then automatically that's number one on my due diligence list is I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't mind breaking the law or skirting the system. Do you think they're going to have a problem breaking the law, stealing your money or cutting down some of the percentages or hiding your money or getting your money back or giving you necessary reports? I mean, look, folks, I've heard it from thousands of investors for 36 years. Well, I gave them the money. Now they don't answer the phone. Their address is different. And oh, well, they ripped me off for $250,000. Man, I wish I were that rich. 
I wish I had enough money. I could just piss off $250,000 because that's what they do. So let's talk about where some of these professional screw jobs come from. I'm going to give you a little bit of empowerment. Everybody ready? Again, Troy Eckert, it's uh, talk with the text and money in life. I'm just about as raw as it gets. I don't, I don't really mess around. Um, there are probably as many crooked financial advisors and financial planners as I've seen in any other sector. I know them. I see them. They dress alike. They look alike. When's the last time you had a financial advisor tell you, hey, you know what? I'm going to put all my clients in a room and let them all share stories with each other, how I did with their account, how much money, what fee I charge. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that because investor number one only gets paid. He only pays 0.75% fee. Investor number two pays 1.5% fee because he wasn't smart enough to ask for the smaller amount. Or I put these five investors in this private deal, but I didn't ask anybody else to join because I made a commission over here and I moved money out of that real estate account because I was running short on fees, but I'm going to put it back in six months. I put it over here. Or what, what goes on behind the scenes is never going to be known because those financial advisors, those certified financial planners, why in the world would they not have a problem putting all their clients in the same room for a one-day educational conference? You know why? 99% of the time, they don't want each other to know what's going on because what's going to happen is the truth comes out. And when the truth comes out, they go, oh, so you're better friends with him or this guy is beat you on the head harder for fees. So if I beat you on the head, I get cheaper fees, et cetera. And I'll tell you from my own experience, the best thing I can do in my business is put all my clients in the same room for two reasons. I can find out which clients I like and I don't like, and I can definitely find out which clients like me and don't like me. And the end of the day, we got to work together. So it's real important, but I can tell you what happens is when they meet each other and greet each other, it solidifies their confidence in my company and me, and it solidifies their belief in what I'm doing. Why would financial planners and advisors not do that? I've yet to have that happen in 36 years. I don't know why. You need to ask all those questions of your advisor and all those questions of your CFP because they they a lot of manage 100, 200, 500 million dollars. One, one guy, one person, one lady, one person, one little group. That's a lot of money to have some fingers in a pie without having you ask serious questions or finding out, hey, I want to meet the other 10 or 20, 50, 80 or 100 investors that make up your financial planning business or your financial advisory business. I think that's only a fair question to ask. Now, let's go to the second one. Let's talk about lawyers. Now, don't get me wrong. I got a lot of good lawyers. I've got good lawyers for all the reasons they can be there. It's just like anything else in life. You know, you got good lawyers and bad lawyers, but let me tell you something. I've met a lot of crooked lawyers and I'm talking incompetent at law, have no intention on doing the best job. It's how to stretch out the hours, but it's worse than that. I have what I call true lawyers, which only want to practice the law, whatever specialty they're in, that's what they do. And they make a living for them and their family through their practice by practicing law. And then you have a whole group of lawyers out there who want to be businessmen who use a law license in order to do business. And they cut corners and they dig their way into your deals and they, they give you bad answers. And in fact, Let's face it, many of those lawyers look at having a law degree as almost being above the law. They say, I know the law better than you. And by the way, they use intimidation so that way you don't push back. I can tell you, I have fired probably as many lawyers as I've hired. Fired them. Thank you very much. I don't like your opinion. Don't trust your opinion. I don't find you trustworthy. I find your bill to be ridiculous. I'm not paying you for that because you didn't do the work. You're fired. And let me tell you, when you first do, it's a little intimidating. You say, man, I can't fire my lawyer. My gosh, he's my lawyer. You want to bet? Look at, the, look at the Rolodex, look in the yellow page, look in any, uh, yes, nowadays not yellow page, it shows how old I am. You look anywhere you want, find a lawyer, you find another lawyer all day long. And let me tell you something, lawyers are like any other profession. Some are really, really good and 80% are really, really lousy. And all I can tell you is it is incredibly important. You have the right lawyer representing you, not only for your estate and your will, that's really important, but in business and investment, you need somebody you can count on. You need somebody to say, look, I know you hate me investing in this kind of product. I know you don't like that industry. I don't care whether you like it. I'm not asking you whether I should invest in gold mines. I'm asking you, is this legal document correct? Is it set up correctly? Is it something that's approved? Can you help me run due diligence on the person offering? Can you give me the legal insight? Don't ask me whether I like Brussels sprouts. I'm going to eat the Brussels sprouts if you tell me they haven't been poisoned. I'm going to do that deal if you tell me it legally it makes sense. So I'm not asking you for your subjective opinion. And the key is you got to be, you got to look at this and go, well, he's a lawyer. Well, there's a joke, you know, who wants a lawyer, you know, best lawyers, are, you know, lawyer at the bottom of the ocean, all that kind of nonsense. Look, fact is I got some great lawyers. Those lawyers are expensive. They're not cheap. And I can also tell you with those lawyers, I can also tell you with those lawyers, um, they're specialists. Some are really good at litigation. Some are really good at corporate law. Some are really, really good at securities law. Some are great at real estate. 
some in real estate don't have a clue about oil and gas, even though minerals are real estate, they don't have a clue, but they, they want to act like they have a, have a expertise in it and they don't. And that's what I find funny is listen, it's like getting a good fishing guide, whatever fishing hole I'm going to, I better find the local guide because he knows what they eat, when they eat, where they eat, how they eat and how many to catch and where to avoid everybody else, et cetera. You go to a different lake, a different watering source, and that fishing guide might be just as worthless as gum on your shoe. Let's talk about employees. Employees are tough. We're all supposed to love employees, give them pay raises, be fair. The best asset you have in your company is your employees. And let me tell you something. The best asset you have in your company is that you as the owner don't drop dead and you keep that company going. The second best asset is that you have a product that your customers want to buy every day, all day, because you've done your job as the owner and made sure that product was the best you can offer. And the third thing you're going to do is wrap yourself with great employees who don't see themselves as employees, but they see themselves as somebody who, in fact, is part of the integration of your entire organization. And they believe in what you're doing. They're going where you're doing. You better run due diligence on your employees. You better find out where they worked, how long they worked. Don't call and ask the ex-employer, was he there? They can't answer by law. They'll get sued. You need to dig. Get on Facebook. Get on LinkedIn. Get on their social media sites. You better go dig because once you get that employee side the door, you're, you're dead meat. If you get the bad employee, wrong employee, you got a problem and it's going to take, it's worse than a divorce trying to get rid of a bad employee. So as your financial advisor, better do your homework. Your lawyer, better do a lot of homework. But how many times have you been, has he been removed from cases? How many times has he been written up by the bar? How many times, et cetera, et cetera. Employees, same thing. And let me tell you something. The biggest nightmare in our company's history is hiring the wrong employees and how long it takes to unwind the mess they can leave and the damage they can do is being the cancer of the company. Your friends. Everybody wants to be your friend when you have money. Everybody's your buddy, your drinking buddy, your dinner buddy, your travel buddy, your, hey, I just want to borrow a thousand bucks, five thousand. Hey, I got a new idea. I got a new patent. Let me tell you something. The definition of a friend is not a customer. The definition of a friend is not a borrower. The definition of a friend is exactly that, a friend. They want nothing. They ask nothing, but they're there 24-7 when you need them and vice versa. And the fact is, is I can tell you from previous experience, how much a friendship costs. Cause I've got lots of friends who borrowed money from me and they decided they didn't want to pay the money back. In fact, most of the cases I didn't ask for the money back, but because they owed me money, our friendship disappeared because whatever I lent them, 500,000, $5,000, whatever the dollar amount was, apparently that's what our friendship was worth. They just don't come around. Best advice I can give you today. Don't even worry about due diligence on your friends. Just don't do it. Don't lend friends money ever, ever, ever. You can do an exchange. Hey, you want to borrow $500? I need you to roll your two bicycles over here and I'm going to hold them like a pawn shop. Or hey, you need to give me the title to your car and I'll lend you $5,000 because if you don't pay me, I'm going to pick the car up. If you do it that way, when they don't pay you back, you don't get so mad. You feel like you basically swapped in a barter the cash you gave them for whatever item you get back. I started doing that about 20 years ago. Folks, best thing I ever did was start making friends barter because I never got mad at anybody after that. I said, I, I got enough. I've got enough in items to offset what they borrow from me. Business partners. That, that's a really a crazy definition. I know some of you can say, I've got a great business partner. Look, I've got a client that's worth a couple of billion dollars. He gave me some advice 10 years ago. I happened to be driving in a truck with him one day. And I said, thank you so much for letting me be your partner. He goes, Troy, uh, I'm glad to have you as a partner because I don't like them. I like partners. I don't like what they become. I don't like how they act. I don't like what they, what they do in a partnership. I'm hoping you're different. I'm hoping you're the kind of partner that when I need you, you're there. When things go south, you don't tuck tail and run. I hope that when the day's done, a partner means that what's good for you is good for me and vice versa. And I said, absolutely. That's the way my dad taught me. Your problem with your business partner is you don't know human character. You can run all the due diligence you want. You can do the background check. You can watch them 10 years and everything's going fine. You don't know what a person will do until their back's against the wall. And then it's going to shock you. You know, so one of the reasons I focused on this particular subject today in, in, in this show and in this program is in my mind, when I woke up this morning, I thought, you know, today, what, what's really pressing? I had all kinds of crazy times. I was going to talk about politics and this and all kinds of stuff. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about the one thing I hope regardless of your financial net worth, regardless of your uh, level of expertise and anything that you're doing, whether it be skills or consumer purchases, et cetera, I wanted to talk to you about things that matter. And what matters is start having a backbone. What matters is start putting you and your family first in protecting the assets you own. Start putting yourself first in that you're a customer and you expect and you demand and you are looking forward 
to a positive relationship predicated on fairness and disclosure and openness. What do you want? Who are you? What do you do? And look, folks, this is simple. I just It just drives me insane. I'll ask some of these sophisticated investors, why did you do the deal? Well, they said it was the last thing they had. Really? You know what? If it's the last thing you have, I want you to give it to one of your better friends. I'm not your friend. You don't know me. If it's the last mineral right, the last condominium, the last open lot, if it's the last transaction, the last space on your multifamily transaction, you know what? I am such a nice guy. I don't want to take your last investment, your last slice of the pie. I want you to go give it to your 10 best friends because at the end of the day, excuse me, hay fever going crazy. At the end of the day, the last item on the shelf is never the last item. It's just the last one they told you was last. And not only that, last time I went to a bakery, the last loaf of bread on the shelf was one that fell off in the back of the kitchen, got kicked around the kitchen. They finally realized it was underneath the dishwasher. They grabbed it, sacked it, and put it up on top and said, hey, guess what? This is the last loaf of bread for today. But it was the last loaf for a reason. I think I'll take the first loaf of the bread, bread of the day, right? I want what's best. Listen, my friends, when you come on this show, you're going to get it raw. You're going to get it in your face. You're going to get what I think, what I feel. Every single show that I do is trying to give you some piece of food for thought about what you can do to improve your life, make more money, keep the money that you've made, Protect your family because at the end of the day, between your money and your life, it is, a, it is a symphony. The more money you make combined with the better quality of life that you have gives you that balance that allows you to enjoy Mother Nature, allows you to enjoy God's creation. And so what I want you to leave today's show with is the simple fact. Take your time. Ask prudent questions nicely. You don't have to be a horse's backside. Ask the questions you think are important. And then get those answers. And if you can't get them, you don't have to get mad and curse and hang the phone up. Just do like I did. Give them a big old Texas smile. Look, I go, that just sounds really great. I think I'm going to pass. Well, why are you going to pass? I just think it's best for me. And hey, I really appreciate it. Well, well, I really think you ought to reconsider. Oh, I have multiple times. I've reconsidered to do something else my time. Hey, listen, my name is Troy Eckerd. I am the uh, guy that does the uh, talk with the Texan every week. This is Money in Life. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me. I can't wait to the next week's series. Let's just keep this thing going and see if we can't make ourselves better Americans, better citizens, and make our families and our life much better as we go along. Thanks again for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.